Section 22 of A Commentary on the Epistle to the Romans by John Calvin, translated by Francis Sibson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Romans 16, verses 1 to 27. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Cancria, that ye may receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of, for she hath been a succourer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponetus, who is of the firstfruits of Archaea, unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labour on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow-prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urban, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labour in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which laboured much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. I commend unto you. A considerable part of this chapter is devoted to salutations, and as they are attended with no difficulty, it would be a loss of time to dwell at any length upon so plain a subject. I will touch only on those points which require some elucidation. He commends Phoebe, the bearer of the epistle, first from her office, as having been a very honest and holy servant of the church, and secondly for having always devoted her time and labour to the supplying of the wants of all the believers, on which account it was their bounden duty to pay her every attention. Paul orders her to be received in the church because she was a servant of the church at Cancria. His additional sentence, as becometh saints, intimates that it would be altogether unworthy and unbecoming the servants of Christ to show her no honour and distinguish her by no kindness. And indeed it is highly becoming to embrace with affection, to manifest esteem, peculiar love and honour to all the members of Christ, but especially to such as are employed in any public function and office. Paul orders them to show her, in return, aid and assistance, as she had been invariably kind in attending to the wants and demands of all the brethren. It is merely obeying the voice of humanity not to forsake a character whose disposition is naturally benevolent when he stands in need of the assistance of others. Paul, with a view of increasing their kindness to her, includes himself among those who had received personal assistance at her hands. Our Apostle, 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, acquaints us with the ministry to which he here alludes. Public officers were appointed by the church for attending to the maintenance and support of the poor, and widows, who were released from domestic cares and labours, encumbered with no children, and were constantly desirous to devote themselves to the duties of religion and obedience to the Lord, were appointed to this office, and bound by strict obligation to its fulfilment. They were not at liberty to consider themselves to be their own mistresses, since all their time and attention were required to take care of others. The apostle accuses them of want of faithfulness and of adherence to their engagements if they resigned the office to which they were appointed. 
Paul forbids, therefore, the choosing of widows under threescore years old, 1 Timothy 5.11, since he clearly foresaw that a vow of perpetual celibacy, which it was necessary for them to observe, was dangerous, nay, ruinous before that age. This very holy office, which was extremely useful to the church, degenerated during the more corrupt periods of Christianity into the idle and lazy order of nuns, Although this order from its very first origin was bad and contrary to the word of God, yet it has now so far degenerated from its original object that it is as dangerous as a brothel would be if situated within a chapel set apart to chastity. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. These testimonies are given to the characters of certain members by the church with a view to confer honour on probity by the esteem which is shown the virtuous and worthy, and to increase the authority and power of such as have the inclination and the will to be useful to others. They are necessary also in exciting an ardour in the breasts of those who are commended to pursue with steady perseverance their former paths of virtue, and not to faint in their career of piety, nor to grow languid in their zeal. He confers distinguished honour on Aquila and Priscilla, who was the wife of the former, as stated by Luke, Acts 18.1. The peculiar modesty of our holy apostle appears in the praise he bestows on Priscilla, since he does not despise the assistance of a female in the work of the Lord, nor blushes to confess the advantage which he had experienced from such a coadjutor. Unto whom not only I give thanks. Paul here gives a testimony of his private gratitude to Priscilla and Aquila on account of the protection which they afforded his life by not sparing their own. He endeavours to excite feelings of kindness in the breasts of the Romans to these two saints by mentioning the thankfulness of all the churches of Christ. Paul was deservedly esteemed and loved by all the heathens since he was an incomparable treasure, and we need not be surprised to find all the Gentile churches impressed with a deep sense of their obligation to the preservers of so valuable a life. It is worthy of observation that Paul could not confer a more distinguished honour and ornament on this family than by making mention of the church in their house. I am not satisfied with Erasmus's translation, Congregation, for Paul undoubtedly made an honourable mention of the church in this passage. Who is the firstfruits of Archaea unto Christ? This alludes to legal ceremonies, for since those are sanctified to God by faith who have the first place in being offered to the Lord of hosts, they are properly denominated firstfruits. Besides, the prerogative of honour is bestowed by Paul according to the priority of time, when faith took place. This, however, is only the case when they persevere in the faith steadfast unto the end. Certainly no small honour is bestowed on such as are chosen to be the firstfruits unto God. A greater and nobler proof of faith is exhibited by the length of its continuance when those who have commenced do not weary in their Christian course. He affords another proof of his gratitude by mentioning the labours and attention which Mary had bestowed. We cannot doubt his design in these honourable testimonies was to commend those whom he praised more strongly to the Romans. Salute Andronicus. Although Paul is not accustomed to affix any high value on family or other carnal privileges, yet because his relationship to Junior and Andronicus might contribute to make the Romans take more notice of them, he does not omit in the first place even this ground of praise. The second kind of praise which he bestows upon them, that of their being fellow prisoners, is of greater importance, because bonds are considered to be not the least honourable ornaments in the Christian warfare. Thirdly, Paul does not use the word apostles in its peculiar and usual sense, but in a more extended signification, and applies it to all those who do not establish merely some one church, but spend their time and labour in promulgating the gospel everywhere. 
In this passage, therefore, Paul generally calls those apostles who were employed in the preaching of the doctrine of salvation in various parts for the purpose of planting churches. He restricts the meaning of this word in other passages to the twelve disciples who were first chosen by Christ, and it would be absurd to ascribe this great excellence in the proper sense of the term to these two believers. He does not hesitate to prefer Andronicus and Junia to himself, because they had been the first to embrace the gospel of Christ. Greet them that are of the household of Narcissus. It would be too great a slight on Peter to have omitted mentioning him in so large a catalogue, had he, according to the opinion of Roman Catholics, been then at Rome. If, therefore, in doubtful questions we are compelled to have recourse to probable conjecture, no judicious person will be induced to believe the truth of their statement, since Paul never would have omitted the enumerating of so distinguished an apostle. It is also worthy of observation that none of those splendid and magnificent names are here mentioned, which might lead us to conclude that the Christians were persons of high rank, for such as are stated by Paul were of obscure and ignoble families. As I consider Narcissus, who is here mentioned to have been Claudius's freeman, infamous by the number of his crimes and the extent of his profligacy, so the goodness of God which penetrated into this impure family, burning with every kind of wickedness, has a greater claim on our admiration. I do not by any means consider Narcissus himself to have been converted to Christianity, but it is very striking to find the grace of God visiting a house which resembled even hell itself. Since, however, those who constantly resided under the roof of a filthy pandra, a most greedy robber and a thoroughly depraved character, worshipped Christ with purity, slaves need not wait for the conversion of their masters, but each may follow Christ for himself. It appears, from the exceptions mentioned, that there were only few believers in the family." salute you with a holy kiss a kiss as appears from various passages in scripture was the frequent and usual mark of kindness among the jews such a custom was perhaps less common among the romans but it was not unusual women however were only allowed to receive the salutations of their relations this however became a practice among the ancients so that the christians mutually saluted each other before receiving the lord's supper as a mark and testimony of their friendship after which they gave alms for the purpose of providing also, in very deed and effect, what they had represented by a kiss, as appears from one of Chrysostom's homilies. Hence originated the ceremony now used among the Roman Catholics of kissing the cup and offering the oblation. The former of these is a mere superstitious practice, without any advantage. The latter contributes to no other purpose than that of satiating, if it be possible, the avarice of the priests. Paul does not indeed appear positively to require this ceremony, but he only exhorts them to cherish brotherly love, which is distinguished by him from the profane friendship of the world, that is generally either counterfeited or disguised, or consists of nothing but wickedness, or is kept together by evil arts, and is never directed to a proper object, nor tends to a useful end. On wishing health to the churches, he is desirous to bind together, by the mutual bond of love, all the members of Christ." Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And I beseech. 
he now gives an exhortation which is necessary for occasionally correcting all churches since the ministers of satan constantly watch every opportunity for disturbing the kingdom of christ two methods are adopted by them for the purpose of producing this disturbance either by sowing dissensions which distract and withdraw the mind from the unity of the truth or exciting offences calculated to alienate them from the love of the gospel the former is effected when the truth of god is destroyed by doctrines of human invention the latter when it is rendered odious or contemptible by the contrivance of various arts he orders therefore a strict watch to be placed on such as adopt either of these methods with a view to prevent them from deceiving or seizing unawares the faithful who are off their guard and he is also desirous that believers should avoid keeping any society with designing men because ruin and destruction result from their conduct nor does he here require this attention for the faithful without cause for corrupt and vile characters often do much injury to the church from our negligence before they are opposed and if not prevented by great care and prudence frequently creep in by their surprising craftiness for the purpose of doing mischief observe also the address is directed to those who are instructed in the pure doctrine of god for to separate such as agree in the truth of christ is an impious and sacrilegious divorce but to defend a conspiracy for promoting lies and impious doctrines under the pretext of peace and unity is a shameless calumny the papists have no foundation for exciting by artful guile an unfavourable impression and low opinion of us believers from this passage for we do not attack and confute the gospel of christ but the falsehoods of the devil by which it has hitherto been obscured nay paul clearly proves that he does not condemn every kind of variance disagreement and separation without exception but those which break in pieces the harmony of the orthodox faith for the force of the passage lies in the sentence which you have heard since it was a necessary duty for the romans to depart from the manner of their country and the institutions of their ancestors before they were properly instructed in the principles of the gospel for they that are such paul adds that a constant mark and necessary distinction between false prophets and the servants of christ may be found in the former not paying the least regard to the glory of christ but minding only their own bellies since however they creep into the church by craft and conceal their own wickedness under a false and assumed character he points out at the same time their arts to prevent any one from being deluded by that smooth and flattering language which they use as a means for securing to themselves favour the preachers of the gospel are also distinguished by their own peculiar affability and pleasantness of manners but combined at the same time with a freedom which prevents them from wheedling men by vain praises or alluring them by the indulgence of their vices but these impostors not only entice the affections of others by flattery but spare and gratify their vices with a view to attach them more strongly to their own persons he applies the term simple to them who want sufficient circumspection to avoid the fraudulent arts practised by such deceivers for your obedience is come abroad in answer to an objection which might be adduced against the apostle that he exhorted the believers at rome because he entertained an unfavourable opinion of their character he points out to them his desire to prevent their fall which without great watchfulness might easily happen paul argues in the following manner your conduct gives me cause for rejoicing over you since your obedience is indeed so universally praised because however persons often fall in your case from simplicity i am desirous you should be inexperienced and simple in committing evil but distinguished for the highest prudence in virtue and the preserving of your integrity whenever it is required 
we here see that the simplicity praised in christians leaves no ground for the pretence of those who at the present period regard a stupid ignorance of god's word as the highest virtue for although he approves of the obedient and courteous conduct of the romans yet he is desirous that they should adopt such prudence and discrimination as would prevent their credulity from being exposed to impostures of any description he therefore so congratulates them upon their freedom from wickedness as to manifest his desire of their acting with prudence in avoiding evil the following expression god shall bruise satan is rather a promise for confirming them than a prayer he exhorts them therefore to fight undauntedly without fear against satan and promises their speedy victory our great adversary indeed notwithstanding christ has gained one complete victory over him is ever ready to renew the engagement on which account paul promises them ultimate success in his overthrow which never appears during the continuance of the dispute paul not only speaks of the last day when satan must without doubt be utterly trodden under our feet but as the accuser of the brethren would even then as it were unloose and break asunder his reins and throw everything into strange confusion with pride and arrogance the apostle promises his future subjugation after a short period by the lord when he would give him to be trampled upon by the feet of the pious the following prayer for the grace of christ to continue with them implies their enjoyment of all those blessings which have been purchased for us by christ timotheus my workfellow and lucius and jason and sosipater my kinsmen salute you i tertius who wrote this epistle salute you in the lord gaius mine host and of the whole church saluteth you erastus the chamberlain of the city saluteth you and quartus a brother the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of jesus christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but is now made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting god made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to god only wise be glory through jesus christ for ever amen timothy etc salute you the underwritten salutations are intended both to cherish mutual concord and agreement among those who are situated at a great distance from each other and also to make the romans acquainted with the subscription of their brethren in the epistle paul indeed had no occasion for the testimony of others but he derived very considerable advantage from their agreement and harmony we find the epistle concluding with praise and thanksgiving to god for paul declares the distinguished kindness of his heavenly father in vouchsafing the gentiles the light of the gospel and his immense goodness surpassing all praise was made manifest in this exhibition of his love this praise is indeed calculated both to elevate and confirm the confidence of the pious that their minds aspiring to god they may with certainty expect all the blessings which are here committed to him and confirm also their future hope by his former favours since however paul by collecting many subjects into one sentence has formed a long period which is involved by transposing the grammatical order of the words we will divide the whole into its separate parts paul in the first place attributes all glory to god alone in the second for the purpose of showing it to be his just due he incidentally mentions some of his attributes to make it evident that he alone is worthy to receive every kind of praise wisdom is attributed by paul to god alone and by ascribing this praise to him all other creatures are deprived of this prerogative paul indeed after having mentioned the secret counsel of god seems designedly to have added this praise for the purpose of hurrying off his reader that he might excite in all a reverence and admiration of his divine wisdom for we know when men do not perceive design in the works of god how ready they are loudly to display their disapprobation 
he affords the romans more certain information concerning the doctrine of final perseverance when he adds god's power for confirming their strength and to make them acquiesce with greater certainty in his power he adds the evidence borne to it by the gospel where you see a promise is not only given us of present grace but we enjoy also a certainty of the perpetual continuance of this great blessing for god does not declare in his gospel that he is only our father for the present but will continue such to the very last nay his adoption is extended beyond death for he conducts us to an eternal inheritance the power and dignity of the gospel are commended by the remaining statements of the apostle he calls the gospel the preaching of jesus christ as its whole sum is certainly contained in the knowledge of our redeemer its doctrine is denominated a revelation of the mystery to which we ought not only to listen with more attention but to impress it on our minds with feelings of the highest veneration it does not indeed present the pride of wisdom which is desired by the children of this world who on this account despise it but explains the unspeakable treasures of heavenly wisdom which are more exalted than the powers of the highest genius and if angels themselves regard these glories with adoration wonder and astonishment they cannot certainly be held in sufficient admiration by the most exalted of human beings nor ought this wisdom to be less valued because it lies concealed under mean and homely simplicity of words since it has pleased god by such a method to subdue the pride and arrogance of the flesh but since some doubt might arise how a mystery suppressed for so many ages could have appeared and showed itself in such a sudden manner the apostle informs us neither the rashness of man nor any fortuitous casualty but god's eternal ordination produced it where the door is also closed against those questions of mere curiosity which the frowardness and pride of human genius are apt to propose for these consider every event which takes place suddenly and unexpectedly to occur without design and hence often rashly infer that the works of god are absurd or perplex themselves at least with many intricate doubts paul therefore admonishes us that the gospel which had now appeared was decreed by god before the foundation of the world and to prevent any one from entering into a controversy for the purpose of discrediting the gospel by its novelty he quotes the writings of the prophets whose predictions we find to be now fulfilled for all the prophets bore so clear a testimony to the gospel that it cannot receive a better confirmation from any other source and in this way god has so properly prepared the mind of his people as to prevent them from feeling astonishment in consequence of the novelty of an unexpected event if any reader objects that paul contradicts himself because he says the mystery to which god bear testimony by the prophets had been concealed in all ages peter gives an easy solution of this difficulty when he says the prophets in their careful inquiries concerning the salvation which was to be offered to us ministered the things unto us and not unto themselves one peter one twelve god therefore was silent in what he spoke at that time because the revelation of those things concerning which he wished his servants to prophesy was kept by him in a state of suspense in what sense paul calls the gospel a hidden mystery in this passage in ephesians three nine and colossians one twenty six is not fully determined even among the learned the opinion of those who refer it to the calling in of the gentiles is the most forcible to which paul himself expressly alludes in his epistle to the colossians colossians one twenty seven i grant this to be one but not the sole cause for i think there is a greater probability in supposing paul to have regarded other points of difference between the old and new testament for notwithstanding all those subjects had formerly been taught by the prophets which christ and his apostles explained yet they had taught them in such an obscure manner when compared with this shining splendour of the light of the gospel that we need not be surprised if such things as are now done openly are said to have been hidden and concealed 
nor does malachi chapter four verse two prophesy in vain that the son of righteousness would arise with healing under his wings nor had isaiah before failed in extolling with such magnificent and splendid praise the embassy of the messiah finally the gospel is not without reason called the kingdom of god but we may more properly conclude from the subject itself that the treasures of heavenly wisdom had been finally then opened when god appeared as it were face to face by means of his own only begotten son and dispelled the ancient shadows of the mosaic dispensation paul again states the end and design of preaching the gospel which was mentioned in the beginning of the first chapter that god may gather together all nations to the obedience of faith end of section twenty two end of a commentary on the epistle to the romans by john calvin translated by francis sibson